Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. When my dad got sick and, you know, when you have those moments when you feel like the earth is crumbling, you know, underneath you, there's kind of a decision. And I remember at that time, it was like, I need everything that I know in theory to be true. And I need like these things I've read in the Bible and and not just the Bible, but in that season, it was like, I need God to be real and I need him to carry me and, and I need, like, I, I just need him. So I would say that season of my life went from a season of trying to be so disciplined to being really desperate. And out of that desperation and really um, learning how to cling to the promise of God, seeing God's faithfulness, I found that out of that came a passion for people to know, like, this book is real. Like, God is real. And he'll meet you, you know, in your pain. And you can trust him. Today's guest is sharing her story in hopes of helping others find faith in some of the most difficult times. We're joined today by Stephanie Morales. Bolio, she'll share with us how she found faith in an anything but ordinary situation. You have an amazing story and an amazing new book that we're going to get around to in a little bit. It's called Anything But Ordinary, Finding Faith That Works When Life Doesn't. But first of all, we want to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of led you down this road of ministry and wanting to speak to people about Jesus. Yeah, uh, well, it actually, it's kind of funny because the story kind of started with the story that I tell in this book. And and that was really when um, I got the call that my dad had been diagnosed with ALS. And prior to that point, like I'd been a ministry kid. My parents were um, called into ministry when I was quite young. So I didn't really know anything other than church life, Sunday school, you know, Christian school, good mm-hmm. Christian girl. That was kind of, you know, all the things you should do. Uh, you should read the Bible. You should tell people about Jesus. So my life had a lot of, you know, shoulds and uh, behavioral standards, I should say for myself. And when my dad got sick and, you know, when you have those moments when you feel like the earth is crumbling, you know, underneath you, there's kind of a decision. And I remember at that time, it was like, I need everything that I know in theory to be true. And I need like these things I've read in the Bible and, and not just the Bible, but in that season, it was like, I need God to be real and I need him to carry me. And, and I need, like, I, I just need him. So I would say that season of my life went from a season of trying to be so disciplined to being really desperate and mm. out of that desperation and really um, learning how to cling to the promise of God, seeing God's faithfulness. I found that out of that came a passion for people to know, like, this book is real. Like God is real and he'll meet you, you know, in your pain and you can trust him. And so I would always, you know, I started writing a blog when my dad uh, was sick for the sole purpose of keeping people posted on his, on his progress, because the phone was ringing off the hook and my mom was exhausted. And so I never imagined like I was going to be like, become like write a book or any, anything like that. It just sort of all, I would say kind of bubbled out of that season really, which was just like a. I don't know, I guess a defining anchoring season for my faith. And what's amazing with all of this too, you didn't expect to write all this. You didn't expect this yeah. book to come out, but you you won the Word Alive Press uh, Award mm-hmm. and that's how this all came to be. How exciting yeah. was that? Oh, it, it was like, I cried. It was an answer to prayer, really. So I, I mean, there's typical things you do when you're writing a book, I mean, quote unquote, typical. You're supposed to write a book proposal. <laughs> you're supposed to get an agent. You're supposed to find a publisher. And I had none of those things, and I'd never done any of those things. And I just had this title. I had this title since January 2017, just kind of popped into my mind like a, 
you know, those old mail slots on like a door and it would just yes. slid in. It was anything but ordinary. And for years I, I just held on to it. And I'm like, I know this is a book, but I don't really know what it's about. And then in the fall of 2020, I felt like, okay, it's time to, to try to put pen to paper and just, you know, kind of figure this out. So I, I like, I started just like trying to write and nothing I wrote would get any traction. And finally, after probably a couple of weeks of that, I remember it just like the Lord, just like, this is your dad's story. And as soon mm -hmm. as I knew that it just like, it just started pouring out and, and just, I mean, I could write a whole book about writing the book and the way God like brought people and brought pieces of the story and connected me with people from the past. Like it was just wild. And, um, so I, I wrote the book and, and of course it was a lot of, um, grief, yes. <laughs> just, you know, something like this journey, of course there was grief while we were going through it, but it was so fast. Like it was 15 months from diagnosis to when he passed away. And so when I was writing, it was like slowing everything down. And then because it wasn't just the ALS story, it was like really getting to know my dad. And I was young, like I was early twenties when he passed away. And now I'm like late thirties, you know, you learn a few things and you have your own kids and you think like, this is way harder than I thought life is way harder. And so getting to know him now, um, felt different. Like it felt more like adult kid getting to know, you know? And so there, I felt like, I don't know, in a weird way, there was like, it was like friendship almost, you know, happening. Yeah. And then, so when it came, I was really struggling with finishing and my counselor said to me, <laughs> She goes, well, of course, you're having a hard time finishing. You have your, you have to take a bile over again. And then I'm like, oh, you know, just, mm -hmm. just tears. So I finished it. I just picked a day and I was like, I just have to be done. So August 17th, 2021, that was when I finished my first draft. Handed out to a few people, a couple who have writing experience and just said, like, tell me what you think. Feedback. 10 people were like, this, this is great. And the two were like, it's a good first draft. You know, you, like it needs work. And then I just, I had no idea what to do next. Like I, I'd written blog posts, but editing is a very different beast for editing a book. So it was just a lot of me being like, Lord, I, I, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do next. And then in March, a friend called me and she said, oh, um, this, this rep from Word Alive was in my mom's bookstore and, and told her about this contest for um, finished, unpublished manuscripts she goes I think you should enter and I had this like you know when you feel like the Holy Spirit like two hands in your mm -hmm. back and it's like you need to like do this do this like this is how I'm providing for you and so um you know when you when you have that sense but you are just way too afraid to say it out loud you're not going to tell anyone like oh, I entered this contest and by the way like I'm going to win it <laughs> but I, <laughs> yeah. I had that kind of in the back of my mind not that I was gonna like win but that that was how God was gonna provide for the story you know, getting out. And so when they called, it's like when you're so surprised, but kind of not surprised and really overwhelmed. And I just said, um, my first thought was, oh, more people are going to find hope like this. They can get mm. the story into more hands than I can. And it was funny how people responded because everyone was like, oh, you're going to be a published author. And I was like, oh, <sighs> I mean, like, tech, I guess. But I was like, but people are going to be able to read the story and they're going to have you know, be able to get the book into more hands than I could. So that was what I was really celebrating. And, it and is, of course, it's cool to, to have a book. <laughs> yes. And I love that it's a true story. It's based on your yeah. father's life and him finding faith. Now yeah. we're going to get into the nitty gritty part of this too. Yeah. Yeah. ALS is a horrible disease. Not everybody yeah. knows about it. Can we just start yeah. there for those who don't know yeah. the impacts of ALS yeah. and what ALS yeah. can do to someone? Can you just share? Because you said it was 15 yeah. months from a diagnosis yeah. to your father passing yeah. away. 
So I did not, I did not know what it was when he called me. He said, the doctor said, I have ALS. Uh, he said, it's, it's fatal. There's no cure. And I have three to five years. And I knew what fatal meant, but I had no idea. So of course, you know, you start, you get on Google and you start. And the more I learned about it, the more I was like, this is bad. Like, <laughs> wow. And so um, it's a neurological disease, amniotrophic lateral sclerosis, and it attacks the voluntary muscle system. So basically every um, voluntary muscle, so your arms, your, you know, to swallow, like your tongue, your, the movement of your limbs, they all just die. Like all the motor neurons in your body die kind of one at a time. And the way the neurologist explained it, and I think this story is in the book, because um, my dad said to him one day, he said, I believe the body has the, like God has put within the body the power to heal itself. And he just straight up said, let me give you a very crude example. If you cut off your limb, you're not going to grow a new arm. ALS is like that. It's not like, you know, I was sore and tight the next day and then I felt better the next day. And so it was a slow deterioration. Um Fine motor first, things like tying your shoelaces, um, cutting your food, brushing your teeth, like anything that's, you know, just the fine motor. And then it goes kind of to gross motor. And typically with ALS, there's two forms. There's familial, which is at the time it was 10 to 20 percent of cases, which means you have a genetic something that predisposes you to that. And then 80 percent are spontaneous cases. And um, so you had the spontaneous one. And then. There can be, it's called bulbar onset, which starts kind of in your throat, voice, swallowing, or limb onset. And typically, if you have limb onset, you have a slower prognosis. And if you have a bulbar, which is what my dad had, where it started kind of difficulty swallowing and with speech, that was where um, it can go to quite fast. So three to five years is the average prognosis. Um, but his was about, it was 15 months. And I think one of the reasons, I mean, one of the other reasons I wanted to write this story is because. I mean, you don't want any diagnosis, you know, of a disease, but there are some that come with quite a bit of earthly physical hope for surgery treatment, you know, and ALS is not one of them. And so I also wanted to give um, people hope who get that news, you know, and are kind of blindsided. So, yeah, that's ALS, unfortunately, in a nutshell. It is horrible. But out of that mm -hmm. tragedy came something absolutely beautiful. Your, mm -hmm. your dad. Your dad had an amazing journey and mm -hmm. amazing journey with his faith. Can you just share a little bit about that with us? Yeah. Um, well, when he got the call, he said his first thought was, I'm going to see my Lord sooner than I thought. And um, so when he called me, I, of course, was shocked and sad and there was emotion and all that stuff. And I got on my knees you know, kind of floated in a daze to my living room, got on my knees, and I said, thank you, God, for what you did in my dad's life in 1986. Because of that, we have hope. And I was four months old in 1986 when my dad met Jesus. And growing up as a pastor's kid, like, I would hear these stories of what my dad used to be like, and I was just, no, that's not possible. That's not who he is. The transformation was so dramatic. And I remember my my aunt saying to me one day, my mom's sister, when we first met your dad, the last thing we ever thought he would be was a pastor. And I would always think, how bad was he? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he was he wasn't a bad guy, but he was a man of the world. He he was always a you know a nice guy. Pe you know, people liked him and stuff, but it was just lost. And so after my mom kind of had a pretty transformative experience with. 
God, just in her living room, just in a moment of, I have everything I ever wanted. Why do I feel so unhappy? She met Jesus in a really powerful way. Mm-hmm. And then really wanted my dad to have that same experience. So what did she do? She left tracks so he could trip over them and wrote Bible verses on the mirror and, you know, nagged him to almost death. And, <laughs> and he just had like Jesus thing in a lot, like just no interest. And little did she know God was at work. And he had a Christian coworker who would answer his questions, pull out his little New Testament from his coveralls. Um, he would you know, answer his questions. And my dad's first question was, my wife says she's born again. Is that a cult? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And, um, you know, so uh, he had this journey, you know, to Jesus that didn't look, that looked from the outside kind of didn't appear like much was going on. And then I think when he just was ready to give his life to Christ, you know, he was 37 when he gave his life to Christ. I'm 37 now. And by 37, you're a little bit aware of your patterns you know, your problems, the things you circle back. So I think when he came to Jesus, he didn't come with, you know, like I was eight. I didn't have a super, you know, rebellious past. I wasn't aware of my flesh patterns and all these things. So I think when he came to Jesus, I think he just brought it all. And just, I mean, God just really turned him around and and put him on a path, like a fast trajectory into ministry and um, kind of accidentally became a pastor and, and eventually a corporate chaplain and church planter and and so, yeah, his faith was just always very real. And, you know, I I observed growing up as I got into my young adult years, you know, what happens to people in their faith when they kind of get to, when they get out of the house, right? And um, I remember always just thinking, like, how, like, God was so real to my parents. Like, is God real was never, it was honestly just never even a question for me because it was this, like, this thing that had so transformed this person who had so transformed them that as a kid it was like obvious like it was just so obvious to me I didn't always feel like I had that same you know dramatic (laughs) encounter Mm -hmm. with God but I um but God was so real to my parents that he became real to me very quickly that was their path through through this journey of Mm -hmm. watching your father go through this Mm-hmm. Did that impact your faith at all? Either way, did it make you angry or did it help mm-hmm. you to grow and strengthen that relationship? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I would say grow and strengthen. Um, it's funny. The I would say the anger didn't come till I was writing the book, like 13 years later. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in your in families, everyone has kind of a role. You have a role you play. And I was writing the blog and we lived out of town. So we would come on the weekend and we were kind of, um, you know, we were help and tried to relieve my mom and my sister and just, you know, kind of come. But then, but then we would go back home because I was in university and my husband was working. So I didn't have the day in day out of um, the wear and tear of long-term caregiving on me. So my job was kind of to, like I would get the updates from my mom, of course, like talk to people, check in, and then I would update people on um, the blog. And I think in in writing and knowing people are reading it, you don't want to be like the bearer of bad news, like only bad news <laughs> all mm. the time. Because it's like nobody wants to be um, like have a black cloud over, you know, extra over how hard life already is. So I think in writing, I was, I mean, in hindsight, I think it, it was this challenge almost to find the hope in what was going on 
And so there was, there was plenty, like God was doing plenty. There was caregivers who were getting saved. There was, you know, just a lot of divine appointments and different things that were happening. So it was like, deliver the bad news, find the hope. Like that was almost the pattern of the blog. Cause there really was not really ever, I think there was one time where his breathing hadn't gotten worse. Like there was one time there was good news <laughs> with the prognosis and everything else was just steady decline. So there was that challenge to always like, well, what's God doing in the midst of this hard thing? And so a few people had said to me like, oh, it's just like, there's so much joy in, in what I read there. And, um, and then honestly, like in other seasons, later seasons, cause grief is not linear griefs, like, you know, so, um, so we were wrestling and, and kind of grieving, but then in other seasons of my life, one particular, that was about five years after he passed away. I remember rereading my, my own blog and, like thinking to myself, like, I don't even know this girl, <laughs> like mm. all this joy and hope and reading the blog was really triggering for me. Um, and just kind of spiraled me into a lot of fear of like illness or getting sick or like suffering. And so there was things God was working out in my life. And then writing the book was, um, I just felt like that was a season where God was like, you can be angry. It's okay. Like you can you can get mad this you should get mad this was hard you know and sad and so um when i finished the book i had very little emotional energy left because it just it felt like this emotional marathon you know of grief so i think god's gracious he kind of knows how much emotion and how much grief you you can handle at one season of your life you know and so i think i always tell people i think healing is in layers you know, yes. and I think if you're just willing to keep letting God access the next one, he'll he'll do what he says he does in his word. I love the subtitle of your book, Finding Faith That Works When Life Doesn't. Many people will listen and go, <laughs> finding faith when life doesn't work. Like, how am yeah. I supposed to do that? Yeah. How, yeah. Like, how? what would you say to those people out there? Yeah, I would say I so love you. And I love that question because. I think uh, an easy trap we fall into is that like the life of faith is easy for some people, you know, it's like they like, or their life is, um, it's just like, they don't have these major hard things or these broken parts of their past, you know, that I do. And so I would say that within every single obstacle in your life is a unique opportunity to take God at his word. It's a unique opportunity when when something goes wrong and you're thinking, you know, for example, I had a book launch manager booked and she had to drop off for uh, family reasons. And, and so I'm left here and I'm like, God, like, I'm so overwhelmed. Every time I seem to get help, it's like they leave or they quit. And I just like, I feel like I'm on my own. And so I'm, I'm kind of journaling through and it's like, okay, how does this make you feel? It's like, like I'm on my own. And like, you, it's like, do you enjoy watching me like have a hard time? <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes. And just kind of working through that. And then, and then it was like, okay, what is true? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, God, what's true? And I, so I'm just asking the Holy Spirit, what's true? I feel like he says, I have a plan for this book. Okay. And you are never alone. I'm here with you. I'm like, right. Okay. So I'm, you know, jotting this down and then you know my next question is um like what's changed and in that moment it was like nothing in the circumstance changed I didn't have everything figured out I didn't have the funds to you know do whatever and I didn't have the people to help but I just had this sense of peace I was like okay you're in charge you've got me you're my father 
And so I'm going to just wait expectantly, you know? And so I think though, we sometimes don't make it through that tunnel of processing and we hit the problem and then we go, oh, everyone's left. I'm on my own, right? We, we agree with, with things that are not true. And then we act out of those. Then we're like, okay, well, if I'm on my own, then I better hustle. I better, you know, or throw in the towel. And then I think we just, it's like, we lose these opportunities and a scripture that was very, very real and powerful in my life during this season was in first Peter. And he talks about how trials are refining your faith. And he says, and your faith is of greater worth than gold. And I remember reading that and going, okay, if the goal of this life is my faith, the testing of my faith, the proving of my faith to prepare me for eternity, then this very hard season is actually an incredible gift because there's things being tested in my faith right now that are not tested when everything's going smoothly. Um, there's things that I'm having to go, but this is what it looks like. It looks hopeless. It looks hard. It like, and God going, yes. And are you going to believe this instead? And so I think, you know, when life doesn't work, it's almost in the, in the kingdom economy, it's like you have the advantage almost, mm -hmm. you know, when, because you have all these obvious, you know, obstacles and problems that are trying to pull you and you get to just hold on and I just know that God loves that, honors, like he wants that, like our faith and to trust him and to be able to release, you know, and just go, yeah, yes, it's hard, you know, and not to remove. I think sometimes we go, oh, it's hard, but God's doing good things. So let's forget that it's hard. It's like, no, it's really hard, period. And there's hope. And I think you have to learn how to hold things like that intention instead of letting go of one or letting go of the other because I think that's what the sometimes the instinct of the flesh is to do it's like these two things can't coexist you know mm. sorrow and joy or or grief and hope so we have to let go of one and you can hold both that's a great reminder something that mm. we we don't think of ever mm. at the end of the day who are you hoping is going to pick up this book mm. um there's a few people I know they say, if you write a book for everyone, you write a book for no one. I sincerely hope everyone picks up this book, but <laughs> I will say, I hope that people, um, I hope that people who are discouraged pick up this book. I hope people who feel like they're the only one who struggles pick up this book. I hope people who think I've made too many mistakes. <laughs> There's too much brokenness in my life. I don't think God can use me. I hope they pick up this book. And I hope that somebody who um, does not know Jesus, does not know the Lord, is not currently a person of faith. Um, and I actually, a, a friend of ours, uh, he who promised me years ago, if I ever wrote a book, he would read it. So he he read it and he's not um, not a believer, would not call himself a believer. And I got a message from him saying, I'm really surprised, I'm really surprised, not going to lie, like I'm reading it because I'm keeping my word but I did not think I was going to enjoy this. I did not think I would feel connected to any part of the story. And, and this is real. This is a real story. And he said, it's not pretentious and it's making me think about things. And, and I hope, I hope lots of believers who find encouragement in this book, give this book to people like that, because it's a story. Like no matter where you are in your faith, everybody loves a compelling story. And, um, my dad was a very gifted 
evangelist and he was not pushy. He was not like, he just had this very relational way of sharing Christ all the time, everywhere he went, Tim Hort, like everywhere. We joke that Tim Hort was <laughs> his office. Um, and so I've been telling people lately, I'm like, if you introduce your friends to Jesse, Jesse will introduce your friends to Jesus, <laughs> you know, same as he always did. So that's who I hope um, reads the book. I love that. And for the listeners right now going, hey, that's me. I want this yeah. book. <laughs> how yeah. how can how can they get their hands on this book? Yeah, so you can go to anything but ordinarybook.ca. And then from there, if you're American or Canadian, you know, you can you can find Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. And then if you want, like, I want a whole box of those books, you know, to pass hope out, then there's another place there where you can place um, bulk orders. And you can also, if you're like, I don't know, you can download the first few chapters for free on that website also. Beautiful. Do you have any other plans after this book now? Um, I do. I always hesitate to say plans out loud that I haven't uh, gotten any traction on yet, but I actually really want to um, create a journal. And what I was talking mm -hmm. about with processing through like when the when my initial book launch manager had to back out, because um, what I really want is um, I want people not just to be inspired. I want people to move from being inspired by God's stories to being involved in them, in their own lives and in the lives of others. And so the journal, the companion journal that I, that I've begun to create is, you know, oh, I have a, like everyone has a problem, right? <laughs> but to take those problems and just to, to a few questions to help people process those and find the, like, what is the thing that God's asking me to trust and to believe? And then, um, to call it a written record of faith, you know, um, and not everybody will write a book, even though I think everybody should write part of their story, at least, because it's so healing and beneficial in so many ways. But to understand, like, the things you face are opportunities. And so to help people process through problems, find the faith, and then have a have a legacy, you know. Um, when I was interviewing my mom, I mean, I called her probably like three times a day, probably, in the initials, right? <laughs> and I was just like, one more question, one more question. And a number of times I said something like, how come I didn't know this story? Mm -hmm. And she would say, oh, I, I guess I forgot. Or, you know, we were just, we were living in it in the moment. So, and you were there even though you were three. So I didn't think to tell you, you know, like when you grew up. So I think it's so important for us to capture those things that God does in our life and to be able to pass them on. Even if it's your own children, if it's your spiritual kids, like whoever it is be able to pass on you know because scripture says um they've overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony mm -hmm. and so we need to go guess how faithful god's been in our life guess how hard it's been and guess how faithful god's been and be able to give that away to people i think that's such a gift so that's my next my next project and it's never too late to start that thank you yeah. so much for mm -hmm. sharing your story with us and for allowing other people to find hope. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me in this conversation.